You are listening to Just Riding Along on Mountain Bike Radio. Hi, and welcome to another episode of Mountain Bike Radio brought to you by Kenny's Targeted Ads on Skype and their dildo warehouse. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) I was just wondering aloud and then I was like, hey, we should I should wonder this on the show. Um, If Ben were to put JRA as like if we were a targeted ad, like what would you be searching in your Google search bar? To make your targeted ads be for the Just Riding Long show? Uh, my avid brakes don't work. <laughs> um, specialized Crave. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Specialized Crave. Uh, what bike should I buy? Fox 34. <laughs> yeah. Pike. Uh, Pike Race. Speaking of, uh, of avid brakes, uh, a customer brought in this Yeti from like, I don't know, old. And it had Hayes 9 brakes on it. Yeah. Like the super, super old type. Oh, those things work. Yeah. Well, this one, the front brake didn't work at all. Oh, okay. I've had some of those come in that are like, they use those on like motorcycles and shit. They're, <laughs> those things are stout. Well, um, you know, the front brake just didn't, it, it had no, like you pulled the lever to the bar and the wheel, you could just spin the wheel and, uh. Yeah, I told him, I was like, you know, this is, it's pretty old, so it may not ever work again. So, you know, but I'll try bleeding it and see. And I, like, I didn't even have bleeding instructions for it. I just kind of made up my own way to bleed it. And uh, it it works better than the back one now to the point of where um, I'm, I'm guessing when he picks it up, he's going to want me to bleed the back one also. That's awesome. Yeah, I know on some of those haze, if you remember, the way you're supposed to bleed them, it's weird. There was that little plastic plunger that they would get lost and it's just pushed in. It's like a barb. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you pull that out and you put the lever straight up and Uh then you push with a syringe from the caliper up until it just like pukes fluid out of the top and then you're done and then you cap it. It's really weird. I see. So I did like, I put a syringe on the the caliper and I, I put like a syringe with that little, like I took that flip the lever up, um, stuck the, you know, the little fitting into that, like I pulled the pulled the plug out, put the fitting in there, and I went down first. Like I pushed fluid from the lever to the caliper. Wow! How'd you even hook a syringe up to that thing? It's got like we had the fitting for it in a bleed kit. Oh, uh, um, okay. Because I was always told, like when I did research on it, that you're supposed to do a caliper up to the lever bleed, and you push fluid up out of that thing until all the little bubbles stop. And then you cap it and you're done. It's like backwards of every other break. I, I mean, I, I did that too. I mean, okay. I kind of, I mean, I, I pushed <laughs> down and then I did, I kind of did it a little like an avid bleed. Like I pushed fluid down and then I held the lever and did like a very gentle caliper bleed on it. Like super gentle because the, the fitting like at the caliper is just like, it just slips over. It doesn't screw in. There's no like real seal yeah. or anything. So like a super gentle caliper bleed, which that got a few more bubbles out. And uh, then just a sort of like lever bled it just a little bit, but it just, you know, I mean, I capped it and it, it felt great. Those things are pretty much like a cup. You just fill it up with like fluid and it's fine. Like, yeah, it worked. 
They're so easy. And then someone, I posted a picture of the brake on uh, my Instagram and said that since I got it to work first try, I'm the greatest mechanic in the world. And someone asked me something about uh, Magura brakes. Magura brakes. He wanted to know um, how to get the lever closer to the bar. And he, uh, I said, well, what you do is you un unbolt both of the mounting bolts that hold the brake to the bar and take the brake off and then bolt a Shimano brake in its place. (laughs) (laughs) You could also just take a bunch of fluid out of the system. So it's super squishy. (laughs) Yeah. That's a a way, or you could just move your, your reach adjust (laughs) all the way in. I think he was having, I, I don't know if he, hold on. Let me, let me go and look at it. Um, he said, is there any way to get a set of Megura MTS too, clo- too close to the bars? With the reach screw bottomed out, they are still pretty far unless you have armadillo fingers. But armadillos have little bitty hands. So like when I read that, I was like, wait, does he want them further away from the bar? No, armadillos actually have really big claws on the end of their hands so they can dig. So yeah. like they Shows have- what I know. They don't. They, they they need a far reach. If not, then they would stab themselves in their leprosy-filled palms with their talons <laughs> when they squeeze the brake. Well, yeah, I um, I definitely, I, you know, I like to dial my reach in, and I don't have any problem with that with any Shimano brakes. So that would be my suggestion if you have that problem with your Megura brakes. Um, so what what do we want to talk about today? Do we have uh, donations? Oh my God. Do we ever? Scrooge McDuck style over here. Uh, Nathan Bell from Wisconsin gave fifty dollars. Uh, Damn. Tyler Wellnack, Ben's brother from Wisconsin, <laughs> sent over fifty dollars. And basically, Tyler looks like the hockey playing version of Ben. Uh, Joshua Brintle. Oh, brittle. That dude's made out of peanut brittle. Joshua no, Brintle. There's an N in there. Oh, no, that's two T's. Just play along. Joshua Brentel from Tennessee gave $10. And Ron Konieski? Konieski? Konieska? Konieska from Minnesota. Ron Kahn from Minnesota sent 50 bucks. Oh, boy. Um, thanks, everyone. That's that's pretty rad. That's a that's lot of ball. nuggets. Thanks, guys. So many nuggets. Kenny can Kenny can Google search for lots of dildos from the dildo dildo warehouse now. <laughs> <laughs> All right, what's new? Um, uh, I'll go. Yeah, go. So I built up a Niner RKT as a demo, a shop demo, <clears throat> and I was also just curious to see how it would ride myself because I've been eyeballing them for a while now and we got one built up. It's a pretty nice build. Definitely had to cut a few corners, A, to get it just going and B, to not make the budget completely insane because, you know, it's easy to sell a demo bike when it's done because it'll be a good deal. But at the same time, if you start out with like a $10,000 demo bike, even if it's $6,000, which is like below cost, uh, nobody wants to buy that. So you got to be reasonable. Uh, so it is basically a RKT frame in large with a SID 100 millimeter XX uh, fork, just the regular full aluminum one. Uh, what else is on it? It is 1x11 XT with XT 8000 brakes 
a race face aluminum cinch crank. I don't remember the name of it. Was that turbine or something? Yeah, I think so. It's a little bit on the heavy side, but it's reliable. Uh, what else? Wheels. Uh, they are Knox carbon wheels. Red. On, yeah, it's a 28 hole on an I nine in the front and a 32 hole on a DT three fifty boost in the back. So just hundred mil spacing in the front, boost in the back. <laughs> uh, what what else? I'd be so disappointed to ride a bike if it had an I nine front hub and a DT rear hub. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was also just a cost thing. Yeah, yeah, I, I understand why you would do I can that. Just hop on quality and go pick up a DT and uh, I, boost hub pretty cheap. So. Yeah, yeah, and I, I understand. Like a DT hub is always. I mean, they're good. They're gonna last Super forever. Super reliable. Yeah. So, but it has it is eighteen points of engagement. I've yeah, exactly. It's, it's freaking terrible. But like the uh, only thing with worse engagement is like an American Classic hub. Yeah, American Classic is worse because it's like 18 or less. And then not only that, but it's got the extra squishiness yeah. <laughs> every single time it engages. God, that American Classic has to be the worst hub I've ever ridden in my life. And I owned one of those things, so don't talk shit. Don't, <laughs> say, don't say like, oh, my American Classics are great. Fuck that shit. I owned one of those things. It was terrible. Uh, it, was, it was really light. Um, they are light. And it was you know fairly easy to like work on and clean and maintain and all that kind of stuff. But mother of God, I mean, it was just... It was terrible. It had like one mechanism that would engage, and then when that mechanism engaged, then it would engage the pawls. And it was just nasty, squishy, horrible engagement. Clank. Oh, it was terrible. It didn't even clank, which was bad. It was like rubber band squishy every single time <laughs> it would engage, and it was ugh, it was terrible. Uh, anyway, where was I going with this? So yeah, RKT demo. It's got an aluminum post and an aluminum bar because I just had them around, and I think think that covers it so it's got lockout front and rear so xx hydraulic lock front and then the factory uh cable actuated fox lockout for the back does that work okay it's not great but i hate lockouts so i'll talk about that in a second uh i think that kind of covers the build so you know very nice bike retail dollars it'd be a i don't know it'd be a six thousand seven thousand dollar bike definitely a nice bike it weighs 25 flat so it's not too heavy uh, definitely you could build one way lighter. You can build an RKT, 23 pounds, no problem. But, you know, again, budget was kind right. of the... You know, it's a, a shop demo bike. Like, someone's going to take it out and do something dumb with it. Yeah, so very, very easily there's one pound in the crank, the bar, and the, and the post, no doubt. Like, probably more than a pound, just right there. Uh, so, yeah, that's the bike. I took it for a long ride at, over the weekend, did a 50-mile-ish uh, mountain bike ride, did... Lakeland, did a bunch of laps there, and then took the road out to Stanky, did a lap of Stanky, came back, and then finished, uh, did more laps at Lakeland. So a little mix of everything, some roads, some climbing, some regular flat cross-country, lots of routes. And my verdict is a bunch of things. Yeah? It feels racy, without a doubt. As it should. The problem is I'm coming from a bike that is extremely dialed. I'm sure you guys have heard it a whole bunch. I love my bike. I really do. Like, I've got it set up the way I want it to be set up. It's very comfortable uh, <clears throat> from a riding position and both and a suspension position. So the way I've got it tuned, I run lightweight oil in my fork. Um, I run high-volume tires. I've got a flexi seat post. I'm a big weenie when it comes to getting the shit beat out of me because we got a bunch of roots, and I hate getting the crap knocked out of me on roots. Like, it just drives me bonkers. So, uh, I'm coming from a very plush bike. It's not a long travel bike, 
but it's a very plush bike. And it turns Would out supple be a better way to describe it. Yeah, it's just a it's supple. a compliant it's a compliant bike. It has very good ride compliance, and it's also pretty light. It weighs the same as the RKT. It's twenty five pounds flat with pedals ready to rock, uh, even though it's an aluminum frame. So weight wise, I'm coming from a really similar place. But a couple things: it feels racy. Without a doubt, I can tell it's got less travel in the back than my full-blown Jet uh, 100 mil, which it does. It's only 10 mil, but it feels like more. Uh, I really felt like the rear shock has too much low-speed compression damping, even in the completely open position. Like, there's still a little remainder of a platform on that rear shock, and I personally don't like that. I know they're billing it as a race bike, and I guess to the average Joe Schmo user who is an idiot, gets on the thing and it's fully open basically it will always feel racy you it's hard to make the thing feel mushy if that makes sense so everyone's going to go wow that's awesome it feels super snappy uh but it just kind of beats you up so i really think if i owned one of those things that rear shock would come off for another reason it would come off is because it's got a cable actuated remote lockout a it weighs 80 grams with the cable and housing and lever and that's unacceptable. Uh, and two, again, the the fact that uh, you can't just take the cable off anyway. You got to take the whole thing off. You have to send the rear shock to Fox, and they have to like put in a whole new lever assembly and blah blah blah. Because it's kind of like a lot of the forks. Very rarely can you just undo the cable, and all of a sudden it works like a regular lockout fork. You have to take all the guts out and put all new guts in. So rear shock damping, I'm not happy with it. Uh, do you think um, if you did something like can you get a volume spacer for that shock I did not open it up I have no idea like I know I I mean it's the Mach 6 so I know that it's like a way different shock than what you've got but like the Mach 6 has a volume you can you can change the volume spacer in the Mach 6's Fox rear shock and so I would wonder if you put one of those in there if you could drop the pressure that you're using, you know, you would have the volume spacer. So it's got more bottom out resistance, but then you drop the pressure and you get a little bit more, I guess a small bump compliance. The spring rate was not the problem. It didn't feel like it was too stiff everywhere. It was just, it was too stiff on initial bump hit every time. And I've got the sag set, right? Um, setting it at 25%. I could have gone to maybe 30 and see if that felt better, uh, or maybe even 35 or even more. Yeah, uh, that's a lot. But the sag was reasonable, I thought. Yeah. It's just you can tell. Um, you know, you can get on the bike, or you can put your kind of elbow on the saddle and just push down on the bike, and you can feel that there's excessive low-speed compression damping. There just is. And I, I guarantee they did that on purpose. Right to make the thing feel racy all the time. Like there's a little bit of built-in platform mm-hmm. all the time. And that's going to make the average idiot think that it pedals a lot better. And yeah, to a degree that's true, but... I mean, it probably uh, doesn't really pedal that much differently than a Jet 9. I just wish they would have left the open setting open. Like open, open. And then give yourself... I think they should give yourself just a little bit of a pedal platform on the middle setting and then make the lockout a fucking lockout that's fine yeah but i think it should be full open and then just barely not open where you can run a platform all the time and leave it in that setting 24 7 if you choose and then have a full lockout 
So if yeah. I was building a bike, that's how I'd do it, but that's not how they did it. So what I'm going to try is I'm going to take out that rear shock, and I'm going to put in a – it's just a regular 6.5-inch eye-to-eye, uh, 1.5-inch stroke. So that comes on a whole bunch of bikes, like all the old tall boys, for example, and a 1,000 other bikes under the sun. So real common size, which is nice. And I'll put just a regular rear shock on the thing and see if it's any better. Oh, that will be interesting. Yeah, that'll be a fun little experiment to see because I've got one sitting uh, here in my garage, so I'll just put that on there and see what I think. Uh, other things about the bike, there were lots of little setup things. It turns out that I cannot make a large work for me. I was really hoping I could. but You're stem, a straight-up medium. I, I am on this bike, and the problem I want, the reason I wanted to do a large is because I think they foolishly made the head tubes way too short on these bikes. So I was trying to go with the large to get the taller head tube so my bars can be up a little bit higher. Even so, I rode the bike with about one centimeter a rise. I ride about four on my bike now, so it was definitely a lot lower. Um, it wasn't horrible, but I definitely there was no advantage to me. I didn't feel any racier or you know having weight over the front of the wheel. I just felt more uncomfortable. That's all it was. Uh, I don't like. I'm not liking the skinny tires anymore. I ran 2.2s forever, and I've been on the two three two four combo for a long time now, and now that I've gone away from it, I can't not ride it. I need the bigger tires. They feel a lot better. You can run lower pressure, better traction leaned over, more ride compliance. Yeah, there's more weight, and yeah, there's a little bit more rolling resistance, but I like, I really like that 2-3-2-4 tire, that ballpark. Uh, that's really, really good. So, so basically the verdict here is that Kenny does not prefer a full cross-country race bike. I really don't. I really don't. I thought that maybe I would because I missed my old jet, my old 80 mil jet. Uh, but sometimes I went in a different direction. It's a little bit more of a trail bike, if you will. I would hardly call my bike a trail bike. It's got a SID. Yeah, it is, no. it is at 110 mil travel, so it's a little bit further. And I'll tell you what, it took me a little while to get used to the 110. I had 100 on there forever. I put the 110 on there, still with the 46 offset. And it was a little slow at first, but I've really gotten used to it. And now that I've gone away from that on this RKT, I didn't like it. It felt nervous, but not good nervous. So, again, you kind of, what it boils down to is a couple things. Lots of little things on the bike make a big difference. So, compliant seat post, the correct seat, carbon bar, big tires, small tires, you know, all those little things really do add up to make an experience on the bike. So, just keep all that stuff in mind when you're building a bike. Uh, and just make sure you know what you're doing with each purchase. No what's the difference you know what's the market out there so handlebars we've talked about that a bunch 35 millimeter bars what does that really mean at the end of the day it's probably going to mean a stiffer ride yeah it's going to be more direct but it's a lot stiffer over a long run so yeah like andrea's talked about a whole bunch probably really not a good idea for an endurance machine and i agree i've taken my 35 mil bars off it was a cool experiment and there's definitely a difference between the two it's not just marketing um little things like tires so how how big of a tire volume do you want uh, how stiff are your rims? You know, if you want real ride compliance, I'd probably ride a good old school Stan's aluminum rim. Um, seat posts. I think that the Sintase High Flex P6 is the best seat post ever built. Uh, <laughs> it just is. It's amazing. It's expensive, uh, but it's just good. The RDO post is great too. Same idea. And there's maybe one or two other ones I'm missing. You know, some of the tie posts are nice, like the moots and all that. Yeah. Any post that gives you purposeful ride compliance. I think is a very good thing. I think everybody needs to try one because sometimes you don't realize how awesome it is until you ride it. 
And then you really don't realize how awesome it is until you ride someone else's bike yeah. that, has, that has like a Thompson or some other stiff post on it. And you go, holy shit, I'm getting beat up for no reason. Yeah, I, so. I definitely noticed that like on my hardtail when I put a dropper post on it. Uh, yeah, I had a tie post on it uh, on a tie hardtail, had a tie post and yeah. it, and, you know, it, it like I just was used to it. And then I put a dropper post on and I was like, and I was, I was just like, holy shit, everything hurts. <laughs> Uh, so the little stuff really matters. Another thing I'd like to try on this bike is put a little bit bigger fork on it. Um, it's got a, like I said, a hundred mil travel, 46 offset. I'd like to try a 120 or a 110 in a 51 offset and just see what it's like. So probably I'm going to get a Fox 34 for it at 120. So try it, go pretty big on it. And not and cross just, country fork. Yeah. And just see, see how it behaves. But see a 120, 51 offset is not that crazy. As far as it, you know, turn in and everything, you know, the trail number is going to be roughly the same as the 100 mil 46, as we've talked about many, many times on the show. But you will still technically have a slacker head tube angle because of the longer, uh, the longer fork. And yeah, I just, I'm very used to just that little bit extra travel. And I really, really, turns out I really, really like it. So I'd like to see how that bike handles with like a 110 or a 120 on the front with the proper offset yet have that little, you know, still obviously you're stuck with the 90 mil travel on the back. I will say the side to side, um, flex of the frame is very, very good. It's definitely stiff. Um, it holds its line really, really well. The short chain stays, I'm kind of, there's nothing wrong with the short chain stays. I just am so used to my long chain stay bike that I didn't necessarily like the short chain stay bike. So for me, that back end was going all over the place. And it was a couple reasons that rear shock, uh, the smaller tire, and I think the shorter chain stays, all that stuff combined. And I felt like it was just skating around. Not you think the uh, the wheels were a little stiffer than what you're used to also? Uh, a t- possibly a tiny bit as far as lateral. It was a boost rear. I don't have a boost rear. They're both Skylines, but mine is a 28-hole on a non-boost, and this is a 32-hole on a boost. So, I mean, yeah, on paper, maybe there's a little bit of a difference, but I doubt there's that much. I mean, most of your lateral flex comes from the hoop itself and the hoop is really not any different so yeah eh, i'm kind of back and forth about that i think it's just the really stiffly uh damped rear shock and the small tire and the yeah. short chain stays i'd, I'd so, really like to try one yeah there, it's interesting it, it is a race bike my my takeaway from it is if you're looking for a race bike basically if you realize that the epic is dumb <laughs> and you, you want to have a real full suspension bike, I think the RKT is a great choice. Like the RKT is the bike for Leadville. It is has, has Leadville written all over it. Uh, well, yeah, so, I think that's where they kind of debuted it was uh, Rebecca Rush rode one. And yeah. Then, uh, I forgot who else, but I think it was mostly Rebecca Rush. But it's a good bike. What I'm really looking forward to doing is turning it into – a very, very light trail bike. I mean, very light trail bike, as in low travel, but big stanchion fork, uh, as in Fox 34, and bigger tires. Little things, too. Carbon bar, super important. Uh, I I just threw an alloy on there just to get it out the door, and I just hate those things now. It's just amazing. Yeah, alloy alloy bars do kind of just suck. 
yeah, they just they're terrible. Uh, the XT brakes were good. The drivetrain was good. So all the new 11-speed slash XT stuff, no complaints there. Everything just worked. I didn't notice it, which is great, basically. So everything just worked. It clicked. It shift. It shifted. It braked. Uh, didn't make any goofy noises on the brakes or anything like that. Uh, the cranks, the cranks are good. They're heavy, but they're good, and they're native press fit 30, which is nice. So there's no weird adapters or any of that shit. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna try a bigger fork on it. Basically, make it a little bit, just that one step bigger on everything, and then add some ride compliance. And I'm gonna try it one more time, and I'll get back to you guys. So anyway, that's my super long-winded uh, RKT story. So different than saying that the Epic sucks, if you had came from an Air 9 RDO to the RKT, do you think you'd like it? Oh, yeah, absolutely. If you're coming from a hardtail, you will be blown away because it pedals. You can. The one thing I definitely took away from the RKT in, in basically factory kind of racy form, if you will, uh, if you stand up and put it in a ridiculously hard gear, like you go single speed mode on it, and it just loves it. It was just rocketing up hills. Super fast climber. Uh, so that aspect of it is fantastic. If you came, if your only experience or your recent experience is on a hardtail 29, then you will be blown away by the RKT. Unfortunately, I've been on a 100 mil full suspension bike that's been getting slowly and slowly kind of bigger and, and bigger. I'm coming from that for the past four years. That's what I've been riding. So coming to going back to a racier bike, it's a little bit of a weird switch for me. So that's why I'm a little biased. And I don't want to I'm not talking crap about the bike. I'm just being real with you know what I personally like and what I personally look for. Um but for the vast majority of people, especially from a hardtail, it's gonna be amazing. If you're looking to do marathon racing, it's gonna be amazing. Um so yeah, only good stuff about it. The build quality on it looks really nice. I love all the pivot hardware. It's really it's definitely a step up from what Niner has done in the past, uh, without a doubt. So we'll see if they snap in half like all the old ones did. <laughs> I mean, they didn't snap all the way in half. They just at the seat tube. Yeah, that's a fairly important tube, though. I mean, it's, only, <laughs> it's, it's one of the very few tubes a bike has. <laughs> I would venture to say that in a bike of this caliber, all the tubes, all the tubes are what Kenny would be, uh, like bill as pretty important tubes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the tube that may not be important is if you have like one of those you know, a six truss fork or something like that <laughs> on some weird custom bar bike. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Kenny's weird custom bar bike has a six truss fork. Oh yeah. It's going to have, it's going to be like two truss forks, like front to back. I bet Steve Domahitty could make something like that. <laughs> have you ever uh, seen a Jones? A Jones. That bar? Well, Jones makes a bar, but they also make a custom frame and a custom fork. Yeah, oh, I've never they? seen those. And it's a trust fork. Um, so the steer tube actually like inserts through the fork and bolts in with a clamp top and bottom of the head tube. Oh, yeah. I just, uh, just built a bike that is just that. It's a trust fork fat bike, <laughs> uh, custom steel, and it uses two upper headsets and it has two two upper uh, headsets yeah it's a zero stack 44 headset one and an eighth straight steer tube just like matt's talking about and it's almost think of like a lefty how a lefty clamps on yeah so like a lefty has that extra little aluminum tube that goes through the whole assembly uh-huh. and then the fork pinches on the top and the bottom to that tube that's uh-huh. how this one works but you tension it from the top and the bottom there's two star nuts <laughs> 
two headset caps and it uses two uppers and you tension the whole thing together. It's kind of weird. It's neat. Yeah, what's the, what brand is it? I want to look at a picture. Oh, I don't even remember now what the brand is. It's probably is. a Jones. No, it's not. It's a it's a brand I've never heard of. Uh John Scheidhauer got it built up. Of course he did. And it's some it's some custom steel guy. I mean it's a really nice looking bike, but cool cool fork concept. I've never actually seen a truss fork in person, so it's kinda interesting to see it. Scheidhauer and his toys. <laughs> I haven't ridden it yet though, so I can't can't comment on it. <laughs> They're supposed to be exceptionally stiff. Maybe for a fat bike, you know, under hard braking and stuff, that might be a very good thing. Uh, yeah, that's what the I read all the Jones literature today because I was looking at their handlebars and um, <clears throat> that's what that's what the whole concept is is you hit it and it doesn't give you that fore and aft flex or like you jam the brake on and it doesn't give you that fore and aft flex that a standard steel fork would have. Awesome. Um, and the big takeaway from all the Jones stuff is it is not suspension corrected so they can get the maximum amount of head tube and get the biggest front triangle to make the front end stiffer. Hmm. You know, like spread out the down tube and the top tube in order yeah. to further brace the head tube. Huh. Interesting. This one had a relatively short uh, head tube. One problem with it is the guy cut that tube, uh, this gear tube, if you will, that everything clamps to. Uh, that is cut at just the height of a stem, so there's no spacers under it, Ooh. and it's super aggressive. So it's kind of a, a problem we have to work through. We're going to have to use a crazy riser bar to make it even reasonable. And Can I not runs send out another stem aggressive. or another steer? Uh, yeah, I suppose. I suppose that could happen. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's just a, a tube of steel. I don't think it's anything fancy. I would venture to guess that you could go to like a frame supply warehouse and buy a one and one eighth steer tube and just use it. I could probably just go find an old fork and lop lop the thing right <laughs> off. Done. Um, Next. I mean, no, that's, but I recently, one of my coworkers ordered a bunch of frame bosses for me that he's going to weld to one of my, or braze to one of my steel bikes. And we just cool. bought a bunch of stuff from a frame supply place. One of your steel bikes. How many steel bikes do you have? Well, I guess I only have one. <laughs> I have two. Uh, yeah, I got new uh, got new wheels for one of my Ferraris. <laughs> I have two steel bikes, technically. The BMX bikes made of fucking steel. Oh, that doesn't count. BMX bikes aren't real bikes. Uh, so, <laughs> while we're talking about forks, let's. Oh, and are we uh, are we still recording? Of course. Okay, just checking. Uh, while we're talking about forks, Zoe from uh, Utah says at the beginning of episode number seven hundred and four, and that's not uh, that's Mountain Bike Radio, not JRA, but uh, number seven hundred four. Kenny expresses interest in seeing some twenty nine er forks exploring offsets greater than fifty one millimeter for longer travel applications. While technically a strut rather than a fork. Canada's Lefty Supermax has had a 60 mil offset since introduction prior to the 2013 season. Burr! Damn. He didn't say the last part. <laughs> no, he's right. So uh, a lot of the lefties are 55 to 60, and that is that is true. I haven't looked at them in depth, like what the axle of the crown is. What are the travel on them, though? I think the deal is maybe the axle of the crown is is like shorter. Or I, yeah, Hell, I don't remember. I'll have to go look it up and, and, and see what the rest of the specs are because – uh, offset's only part of the story, so we'll see. I don't know. Right. Um, and 
In case you have something you would like to send us, remember to send that to JRA at mountainbikeradio.com. Again, JRA at mountainbikeradio.com. As of the date of posting this, if you send it as a calendar submission for one month from the date of this show's posting, there will be extreme ridicule, ridicule for saying it there. Ridicule. And then after that, we won't. Ridicule. And then after that, we won't even answer them. So send them to JRA at mountainbikeradio.com. Do people actually send it's questions? It's happened. And I'm just being a turd nugget about it. So Okay. Um, and before we get too far away from the RKT, Carrie Lowry was saying she's been having a hell of a time getting her new RKT to properly unlock. So with the cable actuated lockout that comes specced with the bike, she's done a bunch of different stuff and at this point has resorted to zip tying the cable to the underside of the down tube in order to get better cable routing for the rear um, rear lockout, but it yeah. still doesn't want to unlock. So she has to do a little bunny hop and like push the button and then do a little bunny hop to get it to unlock. Yeah, it's amazing that almost every remote lockout in the world fucking sucks dick. They're horrible. They all break or they have stiction or they work for one week and then they break. It's just they're so bad. They're so bad. <laughs> no one actually rides these or tries these things, and it drives me fucking bonkers. But anyway, <laughs> um, I will agree with Carrie. The routing is completely ridiculous for that. The rest of the routing on the bike was actually pretty good. I was happy with it. Um, it's much more direct. It doesn't use that head tube, uh, the straight in the front of the head tube holes anymore. It uses kind of holes on the side now, so it's much more natural uh, curvature to all the lines, so that's really nice. But it does this 180-degree little loop-de-loo on the bottom going into the rear shock. And, of course, it wouldn't be a problem, but they had to do internal routing for that stupid cable, and I just don't, I don't understand that. I, I just think internal cable routing in any form is dumb. It's just not necessary. And it's just dumb. Cables are going to rattle around inside the damn frame, and you've already got a rear brake line that's on the side of the thing. Just Kenny's curmudgeon is showing. It's so I, they piss me off so much because I'm a functional person. I want it to work, and I hate when something doesn't work because someone wants to make it pretty. But not only pretty, but what they think is pretty. I think it looks horrible. Uh, <laughs> internal cable routing. It's like a cable goes in and then it like pops out another place and. <laughs> Stupid. I can just, just picture Kenny. Just so I can just picture just so Kenny. the listeners at at home and in their cars know that laugh that I just had was laughing at Kenny and not with him. <laughs> I can just picture Kenny like sitting in his garage, like stroking an externally routed cable right now, and being like, "Yes, <laughs> yes, my pretty. I can see where you go. You, you know can't what get I, away from me." You know what I say about internal cable? Like I told someone this today. Like he asked me about what I thought about all this internal cable routing and Steve kind of grumbled about it. And Steve's the shop owner. He kind of grumbled about it. And I was like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to complain about new bikes with internal cable routing because you know, that's, that's basically like if you like a, I don't know, a 2016 vehicle caught on fire and it had all sorts of fancy electrical shit in it. And a fireman's like, God, I hate it when, this model car catches on fire. I'm not going to work on this. I'm not going to put this fire out because I don't like car electrical fires and old cars don't have those. I don't know. Just something like that. It's like, you know, it's just, it's like part of your job to deal with stupid shit like internal cable routing. So you just, you know, you just deal with it. No, it'd be like, you just charge more for it. It'd be like building a car 
and they have all kinds of fancy manufacturing technique techniques now. And it would be like putting the ECU and all the wiring and all the cable looming for your car, like inside of the aluminum frame of the car. <laughs> and you have like a check engine light and you have to like disassemble half the car to get to the little port to plug in your fucking computer. Right? Like that's, that's what it means to me. It's ridiculous. It's completely and totally ridiculous. So, but that's a whole nother story. Uh, yes, Carrie, I have seen that exact problem with the lockout. The three so far, three RKTs that I've set up, every single one of them sucked uh, on the remote lockout. So one of them, we just yanked it all the way off, and it has it's running the factory rear shock with just in the open position always, and that thing is just thrown away. Uh, the demo one that I'm riding still has it, and what I found is even when it's all brand new, it will lock out as a three position. So you go to the middle position and it does work and you go to the lo- full lockout position and that works, but you have to like very quickly depress it, uh, the lever. So you have to go to the full lock position before you can unlock it. If you go to the middle lock position and unlock it, it just hangs there. It won't do anything. So you have to get the thing to full tension first by fully locking it out and then release it. And it seems to like kind of half-ass work then. So yeah, it's really crappy. Um, the best solution is it's a good pedaling bike is take that rear shock and the lockout and throw them both away. And <laughs> Carrie's a, not going to do that because she's like a single speed, like badass hard woman. And she needs to go ham sausage uphill in the standing position. Yeah, you can do that and with it open. You'll be fine. So just get a regular rear shock and, and get rid of all that stuff. And you're going to gain 80 grams and you're going to be way faster because of that than you are because of the lockout. So, that's my take on it. I hate lockouts. I hate them so much. I don't know. I think I, I think Matt might disagree with you with his top fuel experience. Well, that's cool. When you're on the trail and like that shit double explodes, <laughs> then talk to me about it then. But yeah, I'm not going to be swayed. I just don't like the lockouts. They're so great in theory, but in the real world, uh, everyone I've ever experienced sucked. They just they're all awful. I cannot tell you how many. XX front fork hydraulic lockouts that I have bled. It, it, it every single one of them. They work great for like six months to a year, and then without fail, they slowly die. And you got to bleed the damn thing. And it only takes a second. Kind of sounds like, like brakes, huh? They work really well for a year, and then you have to bleed them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You mean you have to maintain your mountain bike equipment? Uh, well, yes and no. But the problem <laughs> is, it slowly dies. And it also dies in the damn locked out position, which is really annoying to me. Um, and it's it's bad too. And yes, we're a bike shop, and yes, we point this out to customers. But I can't tell you how many customers come in with XX forks, and they're all broken, and they don't even know it. Uh, and I'm like, hey, you don't realize that your fork is locked out all the time. Uh, and you know, we of course fix it, but I just I hate remote lockouts. They're terrible, terrible things. If you just set your bike up correctly, you don't need these damn things. So that's my take on it. There, until someone comes out with one that's light and reliable, I'm just not interested. So I, I don't even want to say anything after that because I rode my new bike a whole bunch this week and I really liked it. Hey, that's cool. And I and I've used for I've used the XX hydraulic lockout with very few issues. Like basically, there are two issues that I've found with the hydraulic lockout: either a it needs to be bled, which takes fewer than five minutes or B there's like sand and dirt and shit in the lockout lever. So it doesn't 
it doesn't work. Like the lever itself doesn't like lock in place the way, like as smoothly as you want it to. And you just need to clean it and maybe lubricate a little bit. The XX fork. And when we're talking about just fork lockouts, that XX hydraulic one is as close as I've ever seen to a fairly reliable system. And that's not saying much because I think it's completely unreliable, (laughs) but, the cable pull ones. Oh my god! Yeah, well, so that's what that's what my suck. new bike is. It's double hydro. Oh uh, well, that's that's cool. Those cable pull ones. Holy crap! Rockshox has tried like ten different versions, and every single one of them sucks worse than the last one. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a big fan. Like the levers themselves are just big and obnoxious, and yeah, I mean, and if you break them, like they can break because they're made out of like big chunky plastic. Yeah, and then it's some OE only part, out. and you can't buy one, or you got to buy it with a damper, or you know the ten million things that can happen to it, and they're just well. What I don't understand is, and I understand it's a it's a cost of scale, but when you look at how much a lockout costs at wholesale versus how much like I don't know an XT ten speed rear shifter, it's like there's no way that this piece of plastic that just goes open close costs the same to manufacture that it does this nine position rear shifter you know like yeah or better yet what they should do is just make the thing work with the cable pull ratio of a front shifter for one click and like problem solved because front shifters work pretty well front derailers do not front shifters (laughs) work pretty well so if you do the whole front shifter thing that could be that could work but i'll i'll say this with mine i i very this is very experimental but mine came out of the box and i just plugged it together i didn't bleed it so I haven't put a bleed on it yet uh, because it has one of those like connected majig fittings for like the lockout lever comes attached to the fork and then the rear derailleur or the rear lockout. Yeah. The rear shock lockout's already routed. You just have to connect it once you have the lever on the bar. And I haven't, all I did was connect it together properly and torque it to what they said. And what I mean by that is it's like really low torque. I just didn't strip it out. It's like (laughs) 1.2 Newton meter. So it's just like snug Um, and it works. And um, I've heard three customers complaining about the lockout on that bike. The first one was saying that it didn't work and it failed in the locked out position. And I was like, yeah. And he's like, what do you mean? Yeah. I'm like, well, the lever is actually unlocking the shock. So when the lever stops functioning, it, is locked and he was like well that's stupid and i was like i like that guy i'd like to meet that guy well hold on (laughs) but then he comes back and he's like he's like no 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 there is no fixing this i've ridden this bike twice they need to send me a new they need to send me a whole new lockout assembly and everything (laughs) it just needed to be bled well but then he comes back and he's like, I've ridden this bike five times. And this is broken again. This is absolutely retarded. And like, he had r- obviously wrecked because the entire lockout was like, like the part that you actually touch was gone. Like it just ripped off. Yeah. And like his bike was like dirty as shit and like stuff was scuffed up. And it's like, he's like, this thing's just too fragile. And I'm like, you bought a cross country bike. It's like, yeah, you didn't even buy like, and it's one of those deals where he's the original owner, but he got it from his buddy in like, you know, Pennsylvania or some shit. And then he put it together himself. And yeah. then he was like, and it's not even that stiff. 
it's not even that stiff. And I set my shock up to what Trek recommends. And Andrew and I did some good riding the other day. And uh, that thing goes uphill. I mean, Andrew can attest to that. Me and the top fuel can go uphill at a uh, decent rate of speed. Yeah. So. Yeah. I mean, I, I like hydraulic clockouts. I, I think they're and they're all right. The thing that I think some people are overlooking on that bike, um, and for those of you out there, just be warned, the top fuel is, is my new crave. So I'm going to champion this bike. Um, <laughs> oh, boy. It has, like, when... Like the guy was complaining that it doesn't lock out stiff enough. And like when I rode it on the trail, my answer would be it locks out just stiff enough to give you a super, super, super solid platform without being chattery. Like it still has a tiny bit of wheel movement. So it doesn't just skip and bounce around. So when that guy was like on the road trying to like ham sausage it, 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 it probably was bobbed a little, a little bit. bit. But yeah, well, some, some people, when they pedal, it looks like they have some kind of you know, like some kind of epilepsy. Yeah. Like they've got some kind of problem. They need to see a doctor about or something. <laughs> and, and some people think that's normal and it's just not normal. Some people pedal all fucked up and they try to, you know, rip the bar, like rip one side of the bar off at a time. And then, you know, only apply power of like 5% of your pedal circle. They apply power right there. <laughs> um, that kind of thing. So, yeah, it's people. People really crack me up. I love watching people, like amateur people who think that they're fast, sprint on a road bike, and it's like I've almost peed myself before. <laughs> <laughs> it just looks so fucked up. Like I, I think they're about to crash at any moment, uh, and I guess some people expect that of lockouts. Um, I will say the RKT lockout is extraordinarily stiff on full lock. It is as stiff as I think any normal person would ever ever want. If anything, it's it's yeah, a little the- over the top. The Mach 6 has a lockout like that. Like, and it's just the rear shock. Like, the the 36, the Fox 36 fork does not have a lockout. But the, uh, the rear shock is, uh, it'll, like, super hard lockout. Do we have any other questions? We have a bunch of them, so. Oh, shit. Let's let's roll it. Ken from California asks, question. He says, you guys rock. No. No. Was that someone else? That's the that's the end of the last question. Oh. Um, well, you didn't read it. No, no. I'm going... I was, like, going to pick through these in a different order oh. than the way I copied and pasted them in. So, Ken in California asks, is there an online used bike store for high-end bikes? What if I don't want to hassle with Pink Bike or Craigslist or eBay? I don't want to dig through thousands of irrelevant Craigslist ads, and I don't want to meet some stranger in a parking lot and hand over a wad of cash. I just want to shop on a nice website with detailed photos that has a big selection of mechanic-certified used bikes in the 1500 and up price range, and I want fair market, no-haggle pricing. Maybe I should start this online premium used bike superstore. Do you think I could build up a big enough inventory and get enough buyers so that I could sell 1,000 bikes per year or 5,000 bikes a year? Um, real pros quick, closet? loaded question. Yeah, that's the pros closet. Yeah. And... Um, so it, so I'll go back through this. Is there an online used or is there an online used bike store for high end bikes? Yes. It's called the pros closet. If you don't want to haggle with paint bikes, Craigslist or eBay, um, and you don't want to dig through all the ads and stuff, that's fine. You just have to go to eBay. Um, you're going to pay a premium for that. And as far as it being fair market value, then it starts to be like kind of a iffy one because you pay a premium because it is mechanic certified. So it's no longer really a piece of shit, worn out, clapped out used bike. Yeah, you're not going to get a bike like 
I told someone the other day, like she brought in a fuel that she had bought off. It was like a 2011 fuel off of Craigslist and he had, you know, $300 worth of suspension and like recabling work. And it's like, yeah, it's, she's like, it's kind of expensive, but I got a good deal on it. It's like, yeah, that's pretty normal. I mean, most of the time when people buy a used bike, the person that sold it took it to a shop before that. And the shop told them they needed like three to $500 worth of work done on it. Yep. And th- maybe the last thing that I would say, I don't think you would have trouble selling those bikes. I think you would have trouble building the inventory because what the pros closet is doing, um, and they've just started this very recently. They've launched it uh, in at least pilot cities, and I think it's going nationwide, but it's called the Trade-Up Program. And what they're going to do is offer you a credit voucher so you can go to your local bike store and you can have the pros calls that appraise your bike and or you can send them pictures of your bike and they will send you a written offer for your bike within 24 hours. And then you can go into a bike shop that uses that program and we can do this at my shop. You can give me that printout from them and your bike and say they valued your bike at, you know, $2,000. We can then go shopping for $2,000 and I can just punch in like a special code and like $2,000. And like when they come and pick the bikes up, they just literally look through, oh, you have these six bikes and they like add it up and write as a check, you know, so. Um, so you get store credit at your bike shop. Well, you get a credit voucher that can be used at any trade up program store. Okay. So, I mean, that exists. You're just going to have, the hard part is going to be the inventory. So, um, and then I think if you really go and look, because all the people selling those bikes, they want to get more than they're probably worth for them. So that's, you're going to, yeah, if you're trying to build that as a business, that's going to be really challenging to do. And I think that's where the trade-up voucher comes in because you have this person that's, um, let's just say, extremely affluent, you know, and they're just like, well, I don't want this bike anymore. A new one came out, so I can, they'll offer me a sum of money for it, and then I can go to the bike store with one bike in my car and leave the bike store with a different bike in my car and never think about it again. You know, and there's there's a finite number of those customers out there, so... Just well, yeah, and the the pros closet like they give you basically half of like the market value of your bike. Pretty much, if you just go and you're like buy this bike from me, they're like, yeah, we will for half of what you could sell it for on eBay. Pretty much, and um, I mean that's how they make money. You know, it's a right business. because they're a business. And then the last thing that you run into is I would encourage you to go shopping on the pros closet today, and at the end of the day, you're not really saving a ton over new product. Um, I think you'd be a lot happier either spending a little bit more or buying a little less bike, but getting it brand new with a warranty through a bike shop. Um, you're probably best off just taking your time and calling around to bike shops and finding like a last year's model or a two year old model that's new from a bike shop and it'll still have a warranty. Exactly. Uh, I mean, we're running into an issue right now. A customer go, is go buy a demo bike. Yeah. Demo shop bike. demos. Or a, a rental bike. You know, I, I'd much rather buy one of those than a bike from some random dude. Like, and those yeah, could definitely have a repair bill. I mean, basically, demo sure. bikes, you you repair them enough that they are safe and relatively comfortable to ride. But, you know, like squealing brake pads and like a rip on the saddle. You know, just little stuff like that doesn't really get fixed. Right. But the last thing I was going to say is we had a customer this week who's having a 
problem where there's a very, very beautiful S-Works tarmac with campy EPS electronic shifting and Roval wheels. And one of the wheels makes a noise that we can't figure it out. And it's very clearly the rear wheel. Um, you can put a different wheel on the bike and you don't even have to ride it. You can just, if you can imagine like, uh, take two, like straddle the bike and put your weight on the bars and walk the bike. It'll make noise, put a different front wheel in, do the same thing. It doesn't make noise. You can grab the rim and the truant sand and twist it and you can get it to make a little noise. And he's like, well, that's a warranty, right? And it's like, well, you're the second owner. So, and he's like, but it's a new bike. I bought it from the specialized dude that works in Utah. And I'm like, well, you're going to have to get him to work some magic for you because specialized is going to use one finger to tell you what to do in this situation. So uh, I would, I would advise against buying used, um, especially in that price range. And that's, that's going to be the big thing. So Bud Ward from California. I think he's from California. Um, so he has a question here. I'm looking for some more advice on building bikes. I'm loving my Bronson, but have been without it for three weeks because I had to get the Fox Float X warranty. This has made it clear that I need a second bike that is also fun to ride. <laughs> I want to build a nice 29er hardtail by building up my rock hopper, building up my rock hopper with parts that can be, that can cross over when I buy the frame that I want. I definitely want to ride the hardtail still. I want a frame that's either alloy or carbon with a threaded bottom bracket that is compatible with a 120 millimeter fork, either a Pike or a Fox 34 and 29 inch wheels, possibly I nine trails. Do you think it is okay to run the tapered fork on the rock hopper for a few months using the trick with the external headset cups that Andrea mentioned, or I did one of us did also let me know if it makes more sense to buy a bike in a box and kindly tell me which bike in a box to buy. <laughs> Kenny, feel free to take this to full squish town. Maybe you think I need a tall boy frame instead. Um, so that's the first part of this question. So Kenny, do you think he should have two squishy bikes? Uh, I mean, of course, but no, I mean, there's nothing wrong with the hardtail. Um, if you already have a squishy bike, that's totally cool. I think everybody should have at least one squishy bike. So if you got a squishy bike problem solved there, uh, there's a lot of good hardtails out there. The, I'm a Santa Cruz dealer, so I will, go down that route the i think the highball is a perfectly good bike there's definitely a lot like a lot more advanced a lot sexier hardtails out there but the highball is very good it looks reasonably good it's got uh, alternator dropouts if you get the aluminum uh, version of it and it's got a threaded bottom bracket no bs it just works uh it's not really designed around a 120 fork but uh, minimums 100 really so a 120 is not going to be crazy, and especially if you run a 51 offset, you will have zero problem uh, running a 120 on that. The bottom bracket will be just a touch high, uh, but I just I wouldn't even worry about it. So there you go. I think we just answered yeah. your question. I think I mean with the threaded bottom bracket priority on there, I would say that's going to be the best the best option. And what else out there has a threaded bottom bracket still? Oh, I'm sure there's something that I'm thinking of. Yeah, I mean the Crave with an eccentric bottom bracket. No, the, all the Craves are threaded. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, every Crave were... is threaded. Okay. Um, so you could do that. And if you really want to get fancy, you could run the Crave SL, which is single speed speedable. And when you put the 120 fork on, you could put the bottom bracket in the low position. Yeah, there you go. Um, so there's that. Um, so I think you should just build a, a bike. Or you should just buy a bike rather than building one. 
Yeah. So that kind of solves that. So, um, and we'll kind of clear this up right now. Um, this is a follow-up on Bud's question. He says, P.S. I'm a pillar member of Mountain Bike Radio now, but it's not clear to me if it helps you guys out at all. Can you lay out how that works? And Ben sent back a really nice email to Bud, but just so everyone out there kind of understands, um, does it directly in effect uh, just riding along? Technically, I guess, no. But without pillar members, there wouldn't be a mountain bike radio. Without a mountain bike radio, there wouldn't be a place for just riding along to live. So, yes, it does directly affect just riding along in that way, in that respect. Um, so if you donate to the show, that comes directly to us. And Ben only pilfers about 77% off the top. <laughs> he doesn't. I'm just kidding. Um, and... If you contribute by being a member, that goes to the operational cost and everything of Mountain Bike Radio. Buys diapers for Ben's kids. Separate of um, just riding along. So, so once his kids are out of diapers, then he'll use the money need for something car one else. Day. That's operational cost, though. <laughs> if you take the diapers away, the shit piles up, and then the show stops. Because that's a cause, problem. Because Ben's just like steam cleaning every day. <laughs> oh. Um. So two questions from Adam from Flow Rider. Flow Rider? Yeah. Is that is that Adam Murphy? Yeah. Okay. <clears throat> hey Jerry, his guys. dog is really cute. Oh my god, his dog is adorable. Uh, is that a uh, is that a Doberman? It looks like a hound dog. Yeah, it's some kind. I guess of it like, could be a Doberman with with ears. No, I think it's like a hound rescue because she howls. Oh okay. I love hounds. Yeah. So, a uh, little backstory. I used to ride a lot. I know you guys know because you know me, but I put in miles on my mountain bike. I have a Stash 5 with all carbon goodies, including the Bontrager carbon mountain bike saddle. I sold my bike when I moved to Florida and didn't ride for six months. I got the opportunity to buy my bike back and started riding again, so I did. I guess I can't get things out in the same or something, but I'm getting some serious numbness from my saddle after riding for about eight miles. With the plans I have with Matt coming up, I need to get this figured out. Any suggestions? Um, not really. I mean, I don't know. We're not, that's a grundle question. Yeah. And, we're and not we're really not, good with bike fits. We're not grundle approved. Um, he should talk to Natalie. Yes. Or come see her. That would be better because if he talked to her, then someone would get a really large phone bill. Cause she can talk uh-huh. about lots of interesting stuff. So I have a, I have a, a hound thing to talk about. Once we're done with Adam's questions. I have another question. I came to Cape Corral, Florida from Memphis. In Memphis, there are a bunch of mountain bike trails with an easy easy driving distance of any part of the city. Here, there is only one, and it's 45 minutes away at best. It makes it impractical for riding during the week. The problem is, the problem that I'm having is there are a few bike lanes here, and the ones that are here aren't connected at all. They will go for a mile or so and then turn into a regular traffic lane. The drivers here see so few cyclists on the road that this creates for dangerous and hostile situations. I'm a former road racer, so I've ridden on plenty of roads that don't have bike lanes, but I've never experienced anything like the hatred or ignorance that the drivers here have for cyclists. I'm trying to put in as many miles as possible, and I realize that I will have to deal with this, but I have a question. Is it acceptable to ride on the sidewalk in this scenario? I know this brings up a whole new bunch of safety concerns, but I'm in a tough spot. I'm doing all the riding on my mountain bike for what it's worth. Let me know what you guys think. I may even send a new cookie recipe I have developed. Um, uh, you know, 
You have to watch out with the sidewalk. I mean, you know the safety issues because you said that brings up safety issues. Like, basically, if you're on the sidewalk on a bike, you're moving. Not only are people not watching for you, cars turning into driveways, like they're just, they're not watching for any sort of traffic on a sidewalk. If they do see an object on a sidewalk that might cross their path, they don't expect it to be moving at bike speed. So it is like you're, it's, it's not really all that. It's probably safer. It feels safer, but you're just going to have to be slower and way more careful. And it probably like, you probably have, as long as you're watching out for cars that are turning into driveways um, and turning off of and onto side streets. Yes, it probably is safer, but if you're, you know, just hauling ass at, you know, 15 to 20 miles an hour down the sidewalk and, you know, there's kind of like a blind side street, a car is just going to like come flying out of there because they don't give a damn about anything on a sidewalk because it's Florida and they're all in bath salts. There you go. <laughs> uh, yeah, I understand. Trust me. I, I like just reading your description of that. It makes me feel like anxious and nervous and, and I'm not going to have a panic attack, but I understand how that would be incredibly terrifying. All right. So last question we have Cole from a border state. Hello, like my friend. Border? My friend recently invited Texas. Uh, uh, well, border. He could be on like the border with the ocean. He could be on the border with Canada. He could be on the border with Adam. I mean, that's West Virginia. The, the border with Cuba. Um, so. West Virginia. My friend recently invited his coworker, who is new to mountain bike, to ride with us. We're all intermediate riders, but typically riding technical terrain. He recently talked his coworker out of a $4,500 Santa Cruz 650B starter bike in favor of a giant Trans 650B with mid-tier spec that was about $2,500. Within 30 feet of starting this ride, this guy was in the bushes twice. Once going, we would ride about 5 minutes and have to wait 10. This guy was walking one-foot ledges, you know the deal, so he bailed after a half hour. Later that week, this guy goes on a tear, upgrading the DR brakes to guide RSs for better <laughs> modulation, and the next day, his entire drivetrain to Tram <laughs> 1x11 from Shimano XT. My buddy is basically buying up his old parts, which are new for a fraction of what they're worth, which has given us all a good laugh. Now, this shredder felt he had to upgrade the wheel sets today to Mavic Cross Max XL, but only because now that it's a total joke to us, my buddy has just seen how far a simple bike part suggestion will go. Uh, so with that, here's my question. Will you please share an epic tale of an overt poser and blatant needless money chucking that you have witnessed? Horribly entertained Cole. Um, um, none so of, here, the, none of it is needless because all of that money chucking um, somehow pays our paychecks. Hopefully he's buying at a bike shop or at least getting it installed at a bike shop. I mean, I'll say I'm going to butt in here and say the, the neat thing about the cycling industry compared to like motorcycles and and auto racing and cars and all this other all these other hobbies and motorsports and et cetera et cetera. The nice thing about the cycling industry is a there's kind of a ceiling. There's really only so much you can spend on a bike practically. Don't tell me about some custom bike with whatever the crap. I mean, if you want to go buy the nicest parts, you can really only spend so much money, which is kind of cool. So I mean, thirteen thousand dollars. Sounds like a it's lot of money, hard. but it's, it's not really. It is difficult for me 
if I was building a from the ground up hundred mil travel full suspension bike, so I, I have a hard time spending over ten thousand retail dollars. It's hard to do. You have to actually try to do it, and you know, plus I would never charge a customer full retail on a full custom bike like that because no one's. I don't think anyone's dumb enough to do that. But anyway, with all that said, the nice thing is everything has some kind of utility to it, right? So, yeah, maybe it wouldn't be my choice to get those wheels or this or that. But if he's buying nice stuff, it's nice stuff. Like, who cares, you know? I mean, I know it's funny on one hand, especially if he's new. But at the same time, I look at people who are really trying to get out there and ride and truly don't have the budget or know-how or whatever, and they're out there on these, like, sub $500 bikes trying to ride a mountain bike trail. And I'm thinking to myself, I would be miserable, downright miserable riding a bike like that. And if everybody was on a super nice bike, I think people would ride a whole heck of a lot more and enjoy themselves a whole heck of a lot more. So I'm all for people spending more money. If they want to do that, I think it's great. You know, it's very, it's different from somebody who let's look at motorcycles. Um, because I did that for a long time and seeing new people get, too deep into something they did not belong on, that was actually a big problem for a lot of things. You know, A, it was really expensive, and B, they were going to, like, get killed because um, they, they were just biting off way more than they, they could chew. Right, that's the thing. Like, a $13,000 bicycle will not kill you. But no, a, a, a $10,000 bike is, gonna, is not going to get you in any more trouble than a $1,000 bike. It's just going to be, you know, lighter or more reliable or shift better or whatever. So, I mean, it's yes, it's kind of funny when some guy who's horrible at riding you know, crashes on super nice stuff. Hey, yeah, and I'm, I'm guessing the person who, who, uh, who asked this question might've sucked at riding mountain bikes at some point in time. Yeah, maybe. Uh, but you know, either way, you know, I'm not trying to rail on the guy who's, uh, you know, lobbing this question out there. Cause it is, it is funny. <laughs> it, it is, is funny yeah. when people, when people have new, new, if somebody has nice anything and they don't really use it to its potential, that's always kind of funny. Right. But, uh, you know, the nice thing about this is that, yeah, you really – nice stuff really is just nice stuff. It doesn't get you in any more trouble. It's not going to get you any more hurt. Um, you know, it's just nicer stuff. So if that – some people also look at these as not only a hobby of riding, but the bicycle itself is a, is a hobby. And they just – you know, they're at work and they're bored and they go look stuff up and they're like, oh, yeah, cool. I'll buy these wheels. They look really nice. Uh, and that's fine. Like, I totally get it. I know why people do it. And I know that customer. I mean, they're very stereotypical. Um, and they just, they upgrade for the sake of upgrading. Like, that's also, that's kind of a guy thing, too, uh, to be even more stereotypical. People, they look at something and go, oh, yeah, I'll upgrade that, you know. Some guy goes and buys a whatever. He goes and buys the new little Scion rear-wheel drive car. What is that thing? The, uh, the FRS? Yeah, you go buy a little FRS, but you never actually do any road racing with it you don't do any autocrossing with it you don't even really drive it hard in the corners you never got it sideways in a parking lot nothing exactly. but you buy this car and then you buy like you know a short shifter for it and you buy like wheels and tires and all that kind of stuff it's fun like i totally get it and yes it's fun to laugh at that guy who buys all that stuff but never actually uses it right or buys like super awesome nine-way adjustable coil over suspension but has no fucking idea what low-speed compression damping is right like that's funny uh, but hey, if that makes that person happy, I guess that's cool. And the last thing I would say is if if you guys were the good riders and you took your buddy on a trail that like totally slaughtered him, like take your buddy on an easier trail the next time you have a new friend that wants to ride. That would be the only thing I have in here. 
like you're saying that he was walking one foot ledges, but like you're damn right he was. Like if he hasn't been riding, like yeah, I mean, I I walked one foot ledges when I first started riding. I mean, that shit looks like it's gonna kill you, right? And like you know, I I think that I mean I never did that. But you were a BMX fighter. I was so going to say, I came like from a BMX background where I was dropping off loading docks on our, like, the penultimate stupidity was like, I think I did a 14 stair set to flat on a rigid 20 inch bike with like 100 PSI in the tires. And I was just like, yeah, I'm cool. Everything hurts, you know? Like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's pretty normal for someone that just got a bike, even if those, even if they spend a ton of money. I mean, I don't know. My first mountain bike was was like kind of on the higher end of what you could get for mountain bikes, and it. Uh, I mean, it was good. Like no one, no one rides a really awesome mountain bike, and is like, man, I wish my bike sucked a little more. Like I wish it wasn't this nice. So what's interesting is in the beginning, they said that he was going to buy an expensive bike, and somebody talked him out of buying an expensive bike, and then he went ahead and upgraded it. So why the heck did you talk him out of buying an expensive bike to begin with? You just kind of screwed him. Yeah. That's, that seems very weird to me, but anyway. Yeah, whatever. Oh, well. Yeah. You got our advice. Well, that's that. That was all of our questions. Um, just because it was a, a big load of them, big thanks again to... Nathan, Tyler, Josh, and Ron, who sent us that cash money this week. That was really cool. Um, if you have questions, send them to jra at mountainbikerradio.com. And I think that's it. Uh, I've got a friend. This doesn't really have anything to do with our show, but mentioning Adam's Hound Dog reminded me of this. I've got a friend in, uh, I believe he's in, he's in East Tennessee or North Carolina over there in the uh, Smoky Mountain area. Um, he rescued a mama hound dog. Like someone actually dumped this hound dog, um, near his car while he was out hiking and he took her in the next day. Um, he went out for a bike ride and came back, um, uh, and she had started having puppies and he has, um, uh, I think she had seven total. He's found homes for, um, at least a couple of them, maybe three. I, I haven't been keeping super close watch on his Facebook to find out, but I know he's got at least a couple of hound dog puppies up for adoption. Um, a local rescue is helping him out uh, by doing uh, their worming, their shots, um, that kind of stuff. So there is an adoption fee for them. But if you are looking for a hound dog puppy and the mom looks super, super sweet and these puppies are, as puppies go, very, very adorable. Um, with They're black and white, and they have little floppy ears, and they're just so cute. And they're learning how to howl. He puts videos of them up. So if you're in that area and you're interested in adopting a puppy, uh, get in touch with me. You can email me, andrea at mountainbikeradio.com, and I will get you in touch with Greg and his puppies. So that's it. That's all I have to say. That's new shit that I probably love is hound dog puppies. <laughs> All right. Well, that's this week's episode of Just Riding Along, and that's it. 